The NBA Finals are heating up. Looking for hot takes on all the postseason action? The Old Man and the Three, presented by BMW, is the podcast to listen to for the ultimate finals coverage. Host and former NBA sharpshooter J.J. Redick not only has a plugged-in perspective on the action from his time in the league, but he's also announcing the games in real time for ESPN. J.J. has the ultimate insider point of view, and he's taking you along for the ride as he breaks down the best defensive schemes, dunks, and drives from each game. And speaking of incredible drives, there's no better place to tune into your new favorite podcast, The Old Man and the Three, than in a standard-setting BMW. Luxury meets power to create a wholly new driving experience. Push the limits this NBA season with the brand that set the ultimate standard. BMW, the ultimate driving machine. This is the Straight Up Breakdown Podcast with Greg Smith and Jay Foreman. Exclusively on the Herd App Media Network. Tell it to me straight up. Hello, and welcome in to the Straight Up Breakdown podcast, proudly part of the Hale Varsity Network. I am Greg Smith. You are, why did I schedule a dentist appointment later today, friend? I am uh, Jay Former. You're back off of uh, the NBA COVID-19 uh, <laughs> list off of injury <laughs> reserve. I'm back in full effect. <laughs> Man, that NBA thing is funny because we're going to talk about the NBA today, but uh, I'm, I'm glad you, you're feeling better. I've been talking to you. Uh, the last couple of weeks, I, I, I'm glad you're pulling through over there. Yeah, we're trying to. Uh, you know, it, COVID has no ba- uh, no boundaries, no barriers, man. You know, I, I, my my college nickname was Black Steel. I think uh, COVID made me into black aluminum after it beat me up pretty bad. But uh, you know, I was able to pull through. Had good, you know, doctors and stuff like that. Good family, wife took good care of me. Kids good, took good care of me. So, you know, it's uh it's real out there and. Uh, you know, I'd like to say I did everything I could have precaution-wise, but sometimes it can just find its way into you. So uh, it's real. Wear your mask regardless whether you're right, left, middle. I don't even know what – I don't even know who's who, you know, anymore. So, anyways, just uh, do what you got to do, and then hopefully, uh, you know, in a few months it'll be all gone. Yeah, I think that's an important point, though, is, you know, you have a talk – I mean, we talked some about COVID, and, you know, it's hard not to um, – given like how present it is everywhere. But I think it's a good point that you make that like, and I know that you've been doing what you need to do and taking care of things. So it's not, I think that when this first really became a big thing and people were getting it, like people only think of the folks that are out there partying and like acting a fool and how they gonna get it. But like, it's not always like I would say some like nefarious thing that somebody is doing that caused them to get it as well. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I think I've spent, you know, obviously being, I'm actually, you know, try to be as health conscious or we all are actually, that's, you know, a great thing. So, you know, I don't, I don't really get sick a lot, you know, and when I do, I'm, it's not like bad. And so really even while being or progressively, and it's a progressive, for me, it progressively, it seemed like every hour I was hitting some checkpoints that were like, uh Oh, uh, but even as that was going, I was like, I spent literally the first couple of days, or maybe first three or four days, like beating myself up, trying to figure out what did I do wrong, right? Like, where did I kind of, and I'm, just in, you know, me and Joshua was talking before we came on, still don't know because you, nobody, it's an invisible, you know, enemy that you're fighting. So, right. you know, I spent the first two or three days beating myself up, like, how could I do this? Why I was more disappointed, letting people down because, you know, 
you know, you know, coach and mentor kids, you know, you want to take care of your house and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's, it's not a thing. It definitely wasn't like uh, your boy Bow Wow down in Houston getting called yeah, out by the I Houston mayor that. having a, a, you know, <laughs> a party down there. And he got he got ran out of the city, city of Houston uh, within 24 hours. I wasn't it wasn't anything like that. We've, you know, always if we have any gatherings, it's been very uh, small, if any, and very, you know, obviously social distance. So uh, it's just one of those things. And um, but, you know, I'm glad, you know, I'm towards the, the back end of it. But, uh, you know, it's uh, for, you know, for the people out there listening, you know, it, it, like it's one of those things that's going to touch everybody's homes. Hopefully it doesn't touch you personally. It's no joke. Um, and just, uh, you know, at the end of the day, try to do what's best for you and your family. And then obviously you want to protect people out there that, uh, you know, are not as in good as health or could affect them even worse, you know, if they got it. Yeah, absolutely. Now, um, it is, we are recording this on, on Monday, January 18th at the well, time is right now, 9.07 a.m. Um, so that means it is Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Um, and, you know, it's not lost on us that we are two black men hosting this podcast from a market that doesn't really have all that many people that look like us doing this, right? Like we talk about this between Jay and myself, like more personally than we talk about it on the pod. I think that it's understood and you guys understand that. Um, and so for, because of that, I, I, I think it would feel odd to me if I kind of let this moment pass without giving y'all some thoughts on what I think about this day. And I kind of let Jay say, you know, what, what he wants to say as well, because we try to keep it real with y'all and we want to do this show just like we're two friends at the barbershop or you were invited to the cookout. We got the ribs going, right? Um, but honestly, the way that I feel about this day is I'm always very conflicted and, and that is not any different this year. Um, it might even be more heightened this year. Um, it has nothing to do with kind of Dr. King himself or his legacy, um, but more about what we've done to kind of uphold and protect it as a society. Um, by the time you hear this podcast, whether you get it the first day is available on Tuesday or later in the week, you will have seen plenty of people, um, sports teams and brands share their mar favorite Martin Luther King Jr. quotes. Um, but some of these people, teams, and brands were silent over the summer while we were marching for Black Lives to Matter. Um, others posted those performative Black squares on Instagram and just kind of called it good. Um, and that reminds me of kind of one of my favorite Martin Luther King Jr. quotes, which is, quote, the ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. Um, and whether it was this summer or it was January 6th during the insurrection in Washington, D.C., uh, there have been plenty of chances for people to show where they stand in times of controversy. So as we all kind of reflect on what this day means and what this great man's legacy means to us, I want people to just look around and kind of take inventory of where it is that you stand on these issues and who it's with, uh, because that tells a lot about your character and where you stand in times of challenge and controversy. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, you couldn't have said it any better. And, uh, you know, it's funny, you know, uh, you know, I was talking to my daughters about it and, uh, you know, they, they go to, you know, they go to, uh, well, I think Lincoln's become more diverse, but they go to obviously way more diverse school. Uh, and obviously being, uh, you know, biracial, I think that, you know, you have, you have to do a really, really good job or we always try to do a really, really good job with all our kids of explaining uh, when certain things happen, what it means to be African-American, what it means to be, uh, biracial that you're still both but so you know majority of the time that's what they, you, they look at you as African-American it's 
it's not fair, but it's life. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, you know, every day is, should be, you know, a celebratory day, but this is the day that you kind of remember some of the great things that you're trying to remember all the great things he's, he's done and the, and the, hopefully the effect that he continues to have on us. And if there's ever been a time to really sit back and reflect and see, Hey, look, maybe we can, you know, each, everybody. And I'm talking about, um, all across the, you know, whether you're white, black, and, you know, was it, you know, Asian or, you know, Latino descent or whatever, uh, everybody needs to do self inventory. Where do you stand on certain issues? Where, where you, were you really, really open-minded? Uh, because I think that sometimes people get, try to pigeonhole and granted it is, you know, an African-American predominantly holiday, but I think what, if you really, really sit back and listen to what he was saying, he wanted equality for everybody. Right. So this is in there and it could come in all different facets of life that where you can understand what he was doing. It's not just, okay, this is a white black issue. Yes, of course. Back then that's really all it was because it was something that was really focused on. But as we're moving to, you know, 2021 and, and hopefully, you know, bigger and better times, um, you know, you're just waiting for, you know, more consistency in better times, better thought process. And that's across both boards. You know what I'm saying? Um, the, the extremism on, uh, I, I'd say the name calling and actions. Uh, some of them are justified. Some of them aren't. Uh, what people have to understand the perception that you put out there and it is sometimes it's going to be your reality. So your lack of action gives people only one option to draw conclusions right um and and they always say if it looks like a duck acts like a duck quacks like a duck it probably is a duck right and if in and, and it's hard and that i also try to when when i see whether it's universities coaches sports figures friends say stuff um or people say it in passing i always try to do a, i always try to me personally try to do a better job not to be uh reactionary right right away and yes i take inventory right i have probably years of long inventory they take inventory of of me as well right um i was never raised like that i have uh you know plenty of descendants of across the board in my family long down the the family tree so that was nick's very from a very early age but i always try to understand like okay where are they from um is it, is it just lack of knowledge, um, lack of experience, you know what I'm saying? Or I wouldn't say that they're scared, but just a lack of lack understanding. Of yeah, yeah. Lack of awareness or understanding. And then how can you approach it and say, oh, you know, no, nah, man, you're, you know, you're a little off base, you know, you need to tighten that up, up dude. You know what I'm saying? Um, or, you know, sometimes you got people that try to like dummy it down and think it's funny. And, and, and sometimes you have to flex on them like, you know, you ain't funny. And I've had to tell some people, you know, a joke is usually funny and I'm usually pretty lax about any type of jokes, you know, cause I'm not, I don't think it, anybody should not be, be able to be themselves and joke about stuff. Right. Cause look, right. comedians have made millions of dollars on joking about black issues, white lit issues, just, you know, joking about ourselves, right. Saying stuff that you can't say on mainstream TV. But I always tell people when you're trying to, when you're making a joke, you got to make sure that not only are you laughing, but the people that you're telling to think it's somewhat kind of funny. If it's not, you're probably, it's probably not the right joke. So um, it's interesting to see also how things progress and move forward. Um, 
as far as how people and individuals approach different things, you know, um, you know, you can take always, you know, like you said, with the George Floyd, uh, the marches, um, you know, obviously the stuff that just happened on January 6th. And then as we move forward over the next, I'm assuming four years and, you know, how can we can move together, you know, as a better unit, as a nation, because you would have liked to think with, you know, with the timing of, of COVID, then with George Floyd, which I think we saw a lot of eyes really being open, right? Yeah, I think that, um, that I, that, think, I think, think the whole summer changed the game in a lot of ways for people um, that, that they were willing to kind of explore conversations that they sure. were very uncomfortable having. Yeah, and they couldn't ignore it, right? Because you were, right. nobody was working. You were at home. It was on every, I mean, it was on Nickelodeon. It was on everything, right? I mean, it was on social media. It, it just took over the air. It took over the airway. So you could, so there was no more of the excuses. Oh, I was working this week. I didn't see what happened. No, you were at home. You were actually might've been on lockdown where you couldn't do anything besides go to the grocery store or the doctor. So you had to, so you got more um, eyes to it and it came more of a reality. So I think that really helped. And then you had to, you know, the summer um, and it still kept going on. Um, and then you see, seen some different stuff going, you know, obviously different other instances that that went on so i just hope that we don't lose sight of what the true purpose was is trying to be build equality and unity and not try to focus on um you know the i guess i want to say this i don't want people to try to focus on trying to take away chip away what the positive that we've that we that we've made you know and and even though we're still in covid um i'd also like to see like to have thought and then obviously with today that it kind of hopefully it brought people together, right? Because look, if you're if there if if you ever can come together as a nation, right? Um, you're fighting an unknown known in, enemy. COVID has no barriers. <laughs> you know what I'm yeah, saying? It's not care who you are. Doesn't like, care who, who you are. For, like what your race is. None of that. Right. It will jack you up. It will affect you, and it will kill a lot of people. Um, and you know when is ideally wasn't their time to to go. And so if you could ever rally around something and then take that and say, hey, look, if we can come to terms of just on that, we can do some other stuff. Right. Um, and so I think it, it's going to take a lot of uh, and I think if, if, if the universities really do a good job, let's just look at the uni- like a universities and sports teams. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm going to have to eventually later on call out the former employer that is done right by me, but they've got to do better if they really, really take this chance to really, really get in, pull up their sleeves and learn about each other and really, really get inclusive, right? You, you actually will make your company better. We're, right. you know, and I think sometimes universities are so scared. And I know it's, look, I know that's the big donors out there that have a ton of money that, that for whatever, they like it the way they like it. I get it. I'm a person of habit. You know what I mean? I'm OCD. I, I will do something 10 times until I get it right, until I can feel comfortable doing it. I, I like certain things certain ways. Um, and I understand that's out there. But really, at the end of the day, if they really get in there and, and, and do the good work and start to get people in there to be inclusive, get them in the decision-making process, it will help you grow your university 10 times, tenfold, and you'll be better for it. And you will still make as much money and a lot of times even more money. And you won't have to have to fight against negative recruiting 
You won't have the ugly perception out there. You will actually not be looked at as like in, in our unit, you know, sometimes at the university look like as a bunch of hillbillies. And, yeah. you know, I mean, that's what Nebraska is looked at and outside the Midwest, a bunch of hillbillies and, 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 you know, not a lot of diversity, even though it's not necessarily true, but that's what you're thought of. But then at the same time, Nebraska wants to respect that the other universities that have been doing more um, on a diversity tip, you want that same respect. You can't do that. You have to really, really have to do the work. You really have to be willing to do the work. And it's not an overnight fix. You can't expect a dollar return on it. And you can't make it just some sort of like, uh, I call it the UNICEF marketing uh, type of deal, right? Let me just roll out a bunch of these stuff and see what we can do. Do it over time because it will. And you got to be able to deal with the good with the bad, right? You can't say, oh, it didn't work out with Jay Foreman, so Greg Smith doesn't deserve an opportunity. Well, we only gave one of you guys an opportunity. Well, that's not how inclusiveness works, right? Because mm-hmm. in the same token, I know there's been plenty of other times that other people have gotten opportunities that hadn't worked out, but the same people that look like them have walked through the door and got numerous opportunities over and over and over, right? That's what you're talking about, fair, you know, hiring practices and so forth and so on. So, um, you know, it's, it's just going to be, you know, it's an interesting time. Um, I think that you know, people should, you know, take this time to learn about stuff and not just be so pigeonholed in their opinion. There is no right opinion out there. Uh, it's your opinion. And uh, time usually tells, you know, wh- you know, what happens, you know, whether it's good or bad and from a leadership standpoint also. So, um, but, you know, it, it's, it's, a, it's a good day. And I will say this, I would never thought if you would ask me in 1998 when I was heading up to Buffalo, that in 2021 that that you have two brothers on a podcast you know in nebraska talking and there's other african-americans on the radio i would probably said no there probably be one right so right you know you got to really think that there's been progress so, so I, it, it's hard you know i don't want people to think oh i'm talking about we need more progress when it, this is a ton of progress especially in nebraska right? right and people actually listening to your opinion and respecting your opinion and also you got to give you know us and other guys that have done it and the guys that came before and the people that have helped them that may that uh, get, you know, other African-Americans get started, right? They did the work. They did good work. We do good work. We're respectable to be on there. Um, but, you know, we still need to, you know, keep pushing it and do more because there's more out there to be had. You know, we've all been, we've all worked with people that you, when you got in your car, like, uh, you know, we were like, dang, you know, <laughs> that wasn't just a, uh, uh, about so media that was a little bit of personal right and and so we got to get past that and and, uh, and uh, try to move forward for it and I think the better work that we do the more that we keep pushing the envelope keep just being factual um, non-emotional um, I think that'll help more than uh, trying to you know personally attack people because once you attack people I think that they get on the defensive and then that'll kind of make them pigeonhole themselves even more yeah, it's a fine line on the attack thing. And I feel like we went, like, and it's really went a lot, a couple of things I want to mention quick on this is that, uh, like, one, it is a fine line on the attack thing because you don't want people to just put their guards up. And I actually had, made, like, over the summer had, with another Black guy, the most kind of interesting conversation about that is we were just kind of talking back and forth about the best way to kind of educate people and talk to them and like open up dialogue. And he was very, very anti, like, don't call people names. Don't, you know, you have to give people leeway. You got to give them this and that. And 
while I understand that, I also sometimes, and this is a, uh, sometimes a flaw of mine, I have the tendency to just write people off or go after them if I feel like, like they're not really coming from a genuine place. Like, I just feel like there's a fine line because there's sometimes where you know if and, and we both, you and I, have, ha- have had to have had this experience because of where we live. Like, I know people from a small town Nebraska, and this is no disrespect to small town Nebraska, um, that just weren't around any minorities of any kind, right? Like, not at all. So they may come from a place where they just don't understand different cultural things. That's different. And then they may or may not even understand where they may be messing something up or doing something wrong. That's a totally different situation than somebody who's like pelting you on social media, like denying that racism exists. Right. Like those are two different things. And I feel like you shouldn't always have to give person B in that scenario on social media the rope because they don't they don't deserve that, in my opinion, at all times. That's a whole different subject. But what I do want to also hit on is you mentioned something about kind of the dialogue and educating people. And I mentioned that a couple of times as well. And I feel like you do have to, I think give a little bit of, give some kudos to a lot of people that you know and don't know. We've had a lot of conversations about this with other, frankly, with other white folks about racism, the role of policing, like why people feel certain ways about, like why black people feel certain ways about certain institutions, like all of that. And I think that there's a lot of people out there that are willing to be uncomfortable and try and learn and have those dialogues, it is just hard, right? I, I don't, and it's not like only because Sasha is on this with us and I'm not singling her out, but it, I understand where it would be hard for her to come to us and say, hey, why don't black people in general seem to really trust police, right? Like right. that would be hard for her to start that conversation. Like, and I, and you have to also understand that as well, is that it's not always the easiest thing in the world for someone to start that conversation, but you do need to have some of those to be able to grow because that's the only way you grow. It's the only way that you learn. Yeah, it is. It's, it, those are hard conversations to have. And, and, and um, you know, it, it's, it's always unique who starts it, right? But the best thing that you can do, my advice would be is just to listen. And look, I got friends that work for the Lincoln Police department that I love and and you know I think 99% of the police officers out there are great and they love to do just want to be police officers right it's always that one or two percent that make everybody you know it might be a little bit long bigger now but you know that uh, make everybody look bad and they have to understand the fear because ultimately um you know, I was, I was listening to this show. I was actually, it was actually Chris Rock where he's saying that you take two people do the same crime, the same age, same person. And one's going to jail for five times more than the other person. That's why that's not, that's not legitimately fair. Right. That's not how the world, that's not at least how we've been told. At least that's not how it's supposed to work. Right. That's not how this world's supposed to work. Right. And I'm all for it. Like, look, I understand I've been, racially profiled here in Lincoln. And I, and I've been, I've been racially profiled in Minnesota. I've been racially profiled when I lived in Texas. I've been pulled over, you know, one of my first instances ever being racially profiled was uh, coming home from a basketball game in high school, uh, driving home, dropped my best friend Jamal off, was driving home. I lived in the, across the, 
the river, you know, from West Bloomington, Eden Prairie, going home. Uh, it was 11 o'clock at night. We were playing a city team. And, you know, you're just driving home, wasn't speeding or anything. And, you know, he flipped the cherries on me, followed me. And, I, you know, I had all my stuff. He pulled me over in my driveway. And luckily, my dad came out and, you know, he came out in his, in his BVDs, tidy whities and white beater <laughs> hair all messed up and, and, and went off on him because he knew the reason. Because he tried to tell my dad that the car got stolen. Well, the car get, couldn't get stolen because he ran the plates and he's like, I know you're at your house. Right. So, so at, this, at the end of the day, that was a life lesson for me that I had to learn at 16, 17 years old, whenever that was, right? Um, but at the end of the day, I've been able to understand why, um, not like it and deal with it, but also understand, you know, when people say they truly fear it, I see it and I under, understand why. Also to understand that in different uh, growing up, you know, all my family from the D.C. area and understanding in the, the way that the Baltimore police was was known to how to operate in the city. One of my best friends, Ken Carpenter, that passed away a few years ago, you know, he, he was big into the trying to help with police reform as far as, you know, getting the bad apples out of there. So I understand that. And so you have to I always try to have an open mind to look at both sides. Right. You, and then I look I have people that when you talk about stuff or whether it's you hear them talk about politics or anything like that, I always try to look at like, okay, where did they work? Like some people that were in the military, they think like they, their political views are based on one view, right? They want this. They want right. That. It's a lot of single issue. Single like, issue. <laughs> and that's people out there. And, you know? and so then, so then, and there's nothing wrong with that because that's all that they know, right? That's what, that's what they've been able to, you know, make a living, you know, retired or whatever. I, I got to understand that. And that's what they're so focused on. And that's their life experience. And, and so you have to be able to look at that. Or there's some people that uh, like to view themselves as being elitist. So they think that they need to you do it that way. Or they think that, you know, this is the only way that the world should or can work. Or this is the way it's worked back in the, you know, 60s or 70s. That's just the way that they've been brought up. I've, you know, in-laws that are from small towns in Nebraska where you have to, you know, understand, look, they just haven't been around a lot of people that look like me. Haven't obviously been associated with a lot of people that look like me, let alone be family members with, with not only me, but my side of the family. Right. Right. So you got to make sure that you kind of always are on the education tip, but you're, you're definitely right. The people that are just, you know, hit the ignorant button, you know, just because they just want to be ignorant or combative. I don't, I generally don't even listen to them or don't even respond to them just because I can't even, if I can't, if I'm not being ignorant, right? If I'm not being one-sided, but you want to be, we can't even have a conversation. Right. There's no, there's no way that we're going to go where there's no way that we're going to go in this conversation. Right. But they're productive because, you know, at the end of the day, I'm not here trying to change your mind. You're, if, if somebody is saying something, like, here's the funny thing about social media, like you could say something, right? Like me and you could be talking or me and you and Sasha could be, I don't know, tweeting or I don't know, whatever you call it. We could be in a three person conversation. It could be a, somebody that takes the time out to follow us, jump in the conversation and not want to be a part of a legitimate conversation, but somehow just want to influence their opinion on our social media platform and then get mad either if you don't respond or don't partake in their ignorance. That's the weirdest thing ever, right? You take, you want to jump into a conversation that has nothing to do with you. That's not even in your, in your wheelhouse but they want to influence the conversation. So I always say that those are the type of people that like to have those conversations. I call it playing tennis, right? 
they want to they want to play tennis with themselves. So then they never want to lose a point. They want to they want to serve the ball, run across the net, volley it back, smash it, s- slice it back, and just keep going and just want the score to be zero zero, and they're always winning. Those are people that just probably will be in the same place when they're from the time that they're 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 until the day that they pass because they feel they just do not want to uh, grow and or to even see anything. And it's not even about changing. Seeing somebody else's perspective is not changing who you are. You get what I'm saying? Right. Understanding something, that the way, some way people are built or, or, or raised is not changing anything about you. It's just being a person. <laughs> I mean, you get what I'm saying? Like, like you can always say like, well, man, I wonder why they do that. Well, that's maybe that's the way they're raised. You know, some people, you know, like I remember first time that, and this is something so stupid, but you know, I remember when we were in rookie camp and we had a, a rookie named Bobby Collins. We used to call him Bobby Boucher. He was from like North Alabama state, super fast and country. So they had like some, they, they'd made us like chicken and rice and broccoli. Right. Well, Bobby ate the chicken bones. Right. Now, look, and I'm looking at him like he got I'm, three I'm heads looking right now, but he ate everything. Yeah. Right. He ate the whole chicken bone. He ate everything. So I didn't really say anything. And I remember talking to my best friend, Sean Bryce. I was like, man, do you see Bobby? And he was like, yeah, man. He's like me and peerless, peerless price. Right. He was like, we were talking about that on the way back to the week. We went out as rookies and we went to like, that was when they had all you could eat crab legs at, uh, at, uh, with red lobster right we went in there and just destroyed this place so he had bought like a big dungeness crab and then he ate everything the whole crab too so finally but the thing is that the point of the story is finally i asked him like that saturday we were hanging out and he was just like hey look that's just the way i was raised that was just the way that i was taught you, you eat everything from the the gristle to the bones to everything you eat everything is good for you yeah, right no so Right. Now, is that going to change the way that I'm going to go about eating my chicken and my crab legs? No, it didn't. Still has it. But it's something I, but what it taught me was don't judge. Bobby's still a great dude, but I had to learn like, Hey, that's just the way he is. And so um, it's not directly correlated, but it's also just, you got to educate yourself. Just he's from, or he was from the sticks of Alabama. That's all he knew. And he really, and also he told me, he was like, look, we had to eat everything because we didn't know when, our next big meal was coming from. So we had, that was part of the filler up, you know, everything. So, um, you know, people should just take some time to, you know, educate themselves, educate their kids because it's, it's, you know, I will say this and we can move on growing up now is going to be a little bit, is a little bit harder. Uh, this is probably one of the biggest things that I always worry about with, with my kids is the world is so crazy now. And so I would say explosive, right. So it's harder to grow up, right? So they, you know, you got yeah, kids. It's easier it's bull- to get that stuff out there, right? And and it, whether it's bullying or social media, it's a, it's a lot. It's it's a lot, right? So why not, as parents, make it easier on your kids to navigate through this life and and, and become better people and have a better influence by educating them and maybe having them? Because I remember my dad. I used to always say, "Do as I say, not as I do," and I want you to be better than me. And that's what I, you always want, right? And I, and I want your life to be easier, right? Because I want you not to make the same mistake. So as a parent, why wouldn't you want them to make the same mistake that, that you knowingly make, right? Or that you know that your grandfather's make, or your family make, you know it's wrong, right? You, I mean, a lot of people know when you, I mean, we know when we do stuff that ain't right. And so 
you'd want to think that people would want their kids to be better educated because listen here, once they get to our age, there's not going to be there. I, I hate to tell these people, it's not going to be, they're not going to be looking, they're not going to be sitting at the boardrooms looking at the same type of people. I'm telling you, you get what I'm saying? It, it's, it's the time is coming. It's, it's, you're going to have to be able to sit down, break bread, do business with people that do not look like you and are not from the same, you know, zip code, area code, financial, you know, backing from when they were kids. There, it's just going to be a different world. And so you want your kid to be as prepared as possible to be successful. And you got to educate them because most of the education comes from at home. That's where the biggest influence comes from. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, it's interesting because it, this all this kind of goes, it relates, and I could go a long way around to relate this, but we do always go through um, it, it to our favorite segments of the show. Um, and the first one is called Coach Speak. Coach Speak to Real Talk, where we go through and, and we talk about, you know, something that somebody said, and then we kind of sell you the real of what they actually said. And this week kind of comes courtesy of uh, what I'm going to call the embattled James Harden, because my man has gone through it this season. A lot of this stuff, he brought it on himself. Um, but because it's 2021, and we do these things on the gram now, he said this on Instagram. I think you might have deleted it. Um, he said, we do all this talking about uplifting the next African-American athlete slash male. And some of these ex-NBA players use national TV or their own social media to do just the opposite. I see it. I just stay to myself. The real never lose. Shout out to Dwayne Wade for being solid because Dwayne Wade came out in support of um, James Harden after he uh, had after he got that trade to the New Jersey or the Brooklyn Nets. Boy, I'm old. The New Jersey Nets, the Brooklyn Nets, um, here over the last week. So, Jay, what did what did James really mean by that? Uh, you know, I think that he he meant that he was just butthurt that Shaq and and Charles Barkley called him to 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 the table. Yep. About the amount of teammates that he's ran through and how he handled the situation and um the, the the ignorance that he displayed by showing up out of shape and that and that's and they were right right now could they have handled it different maybe but how how are they supposed to handle it they they have a job to do that's tearing them down because they they actually don't hold any punches doesn't matter who it is right and like, have, it's not like they, they, they singled him out he was the first one that they you know took to test Right. Yeah. And, you know, and they've done it with Kevin Durant. They've done it with LeBron. They've done it with every single issue. They've done it with owners. They've done it with white owners. They've done it with black owners with, you know, Michael Jordan not doing their job. So um, I didn't really, I saw it live. I didn't have a problem with it. I mean, he just say, look, you, you wanted Dwight Howard. You ran, he wasn't good enough. You wanted Chris Paul, you, you know, you know, he wasn't good enough. You wanted Russell Westbrook. He wasn't good enough. Then all of a sudden, Dan Antonio leaves, and all of a sudden, now you want to just pick up shop after a, a whole organization, you know, took a chance on you, which you don't owe them anything because they took a chance on you and you developed into a superstar player. But they took a chance on you and made you into a superstar player. You got to yeah, remember, they built the, the whole Houston, thing around them. The, the, they built the whole thing around them, and they paid him as a top tier player as a six man from the Oklahoma City Thunder, and made him. He wasn't even the beard when he got there. No, and he so, wasn't James Harden the way that he is now. When right, and, right, and they, they made it into a total isolation game. It was the James Harden show. Um, and then all of a sudden, 
once Dan Antonio leaves, which, you know, look, he, he's, he is, he was the franchise and they didn't talk about, they didn't talk to him when they got rid of Maury and with the head coach. So I understand that. Then Russell Westbrook left. He didn't really, you know, they're supposed to be boys, but then, you know, it didn't work out, even though that they decent run in the bubble for them and he didn't want to run it back. Um, they still had good pieces, but they had a lot of injury concerns with, you know, right now with wall and, and Boogie cousins getting healthy. And then all of a sudden he, you know, he's never around, shows up to training camp out of shape, doesn't want to be there. And, uh, you know, forces a trade and he gets called out. So uh, what he wanted people to come to bat for him, but at the end of the day, why would they? Because not everybody in the, in, in the NBA can do that. Right. And he did a, but he did a couple of things too also that weren't, like that were outside of the norm. So two things, and, it's, and it feels like because, I mean, it's the time we live in, this always comes up. Like COVID, the way that he handled that was terrible. The way, like you can't be like the face of the franchise, but you stay away from the team and you out here partying at the strip club. And then like he was even then putting out cryptic stuff on Instagram talking about, I'm just going to do me. And like, they can't tell me what to do and that sort of thing. And then really, I think the thing that, like the straw that broke the camel's back, I think for a lot of people was when he went and did that press conference where he basically said the team sucked and they didn't have good players. It was the last press conference he ever did as a Houston right. Rocket um, because basically everybody knew from that point, like they had to get him out of there. Cause remember, did you see the thing where they didn't have him come to practice that next day? And if you saw the press conference with Boogie Cousins, I think that they were through some hands. Like, I think that they were real mad. Like, Cousins, John Wall, all of those guys, P.J. Tucker. Um, because you can't you, – I'm struggling to think of another situation where a guy that demanded a trade did a press conference after losing a game and basically said his team sucked. Like, it's hard to even yeah. think of one like that. It was, it was such a weird situation. So I, I understand why people are not exactly fans of James Harden to begin with and with all of this stuff. And you throw in that, like, people just generally don't like stars uh, pushing for trades. Like, it never really goes that well for anybody. You, know, you talk about Kawhi um, and how that went for him in San Antonio, Anthony Davis and how it went for him with the Pelicans. Like everybody kind of goes through it, but nobody has done, at least in my immediate knowledge has done, or memory, has done this, the combination of stuff that James Harden did. And that's why he's catching his heat from former players, media people, uh, play, like current players. Everybody is here lining up to get their shots on James Harden. Yeah, and it, it, he did. He didn't handle it right, and what he could have just said, "I'm. I want to be traded. You need to trade me." And there's different ways. There's a, there's an unwritten rule in sports. You never dog your teammates. You never right. disrespect your teammates. Uh, there's been plenty of guys that wanted to be traded, and and look at Anthony Davis. He had to put on the good soldier's hat and finish out a season. Because if there was NBA any NBA. ever anybody that could have came out and said, "My teammates right. sucking. I'm good," it could have been him. They didn't have right. Any, he had Drew Holiday, and that was it. <laughs> Yeah, and he was in a new and bootleg organization right, down there. Until now, now they have, I think, good guys with David Griffin and stuff. So you got to think. So and also, you got to think a lot of these media guys. This is what people don't understand. They have more intel than what they're even saying on TV, right? And they also know what it's like to be in those locker rooms. And yes, it's a little bit tricky because of the Shaq and Kobe and how you know how toxic that was. But they still went out there and tried to win championships and did win championships. Right. Ultimately, Kobe ran Shaq out of L.A. But at the end of the day, 
they didn't dog their teammates. You know, they went out there and, and did what they had to do. And look, these are NBA all-star type of players. John Wall, you know, come back healthy is an NBA all-star player. Right. Yeah, Cousins, Cousins, Chris Wood, Tucker. Guy, and here's the thing that I couldn't do. The guys that are all sacrificed for the betterment of James Harden, you're thinking of, I'm thinking of Gordon and I'm thinking of, of P.J. Tucker, right, that have all kind of catered to him. I could never get in there and say, look, we're just, we're just crappy right now. These are yeah, the same yeah, that's a, that's a great point because those dudes, like P.J. Tucker essentially became a guy that stands in the corner and shoots threes so that they could play the way that James Harden wants to play. And then for him to turn right. around and say these guys suck would make yeah. you a little mad. Right. And then, and then also you got to think James Harden was on the team with CP3 when they, they had the Warriors down. And James Harden in the, every big game has not been able to come through. Right. Even in the MVP, he has not been able to have that performance when it's money time. Right. In the playoffs. But then the best thing that you want to do is go join, you know, the second best player in the NBA and another top 10 player in the NBA and have it easy and go out there uh, to the Brooklyn Nets and run through people and and get a a championship that way. So there's a lot of moving parts to it. Um, but the way he's handled it, it wasn't the best. And, and now to make it even worse, even, you know, James Harden, and I will say this about James Harden, because I still have a lot of connections in Houston and, and go down quite frequently. He was great in the community and did a lot of great things, let alone, I think either today or tomorrow or within the next week, his steakhouse down there opens. Yeah, I saw and that. He, so it'll be interesting to see how that happens. I think he'll still – I think as time passed, I think he'll realize that he could have done things better. Um, but, you know, it, it's, 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 uh, it's a unique situation. And I don't know how long that steakhouse will last, you know, considering that the owner is, is a huge restaurant guy and, and, and obviously with hotels and stuff like that, he was going to make James into eventually could have probably bought into the, to the rockets in my opinion. Um, so when you make these decisions, you can make them hastily. And, and I think right. also when you have that much control and that much influence on the, on the, on the uh, Rockets, they eventually would have got you some players because everybody would love to come. Houston's a great sports town. So you could get players to come and play with you. You got to learn how to play. And, and yes, Brooklyn is, in my opinion, the odds on favorite should win. Um, and if he doesn't win it now, Dude, you're you're just gonna be one of the, you're you're gonna be a guy that's gonna end up being on 10, 11, 12, 13 teams, and you're gonna mess be mess around being like the modern day Adrian Dantley, um, that you know is running around trying to score points and, and trying to just get on the back end of a championship. Yeah, and it's it's crazy too because all that being said, like he is such a good individual player, just a brilliant individual player, and he went out in this first game um, for Brooklyn against the Orlando, Orlando Magic on Saturday and put up a 30-point triple-double. Just walked in and put up 32 points, 14 assists, 12 rebounds, and four steals, by the way, um, right. and helped them to a win. Now, what's interesting, though, is that, you know, you saw those highlights all over the place, but, man, they only beat the Magic by seven points. It's going to be so interesting to see how that Nets team does. And obviously Kyrie didn't play in that game. Um, but, boy, you look at that bench. And it's just not very good. Like they just and they don't have much size on the team, and they don't have many. Like they they have very few like just lockdown defenders. Like they're right. they to me are going to be in the playoffs. Um, 
their matchups are going to determine so much because it's going to be a thing where if they run into a team that has a bet that is a bad matchup for them, they could really struggle. Um, and obviously a lot of people and us being Lakers fans probably view this as we're heading towards a Lakers Nets final, um, which will be fun. Like think about all the storylines um, that, that you could end up having there. Um, but as we've learned with James Harden teams before, like he can put up these 30 point triple doubles. He can do all of this. That what was it? The, the 40 point streak um, from a year or two ago, all of that stuff he can run up and down the court doing in the regular season. He is the ultimate guy of, we got to see it in the playoffs before people really believe it. Yeah. He's, he's got, he's got a long road to go, but I think he's making it a little bit easier when you're, when you got Kevin Durant. Uh, yeah, I mean, and, that guy uh, makes it a lot easier for you. And that's even before you get to, to Kyrie. Because Kevin Durant, and that's the other thing, like, it's been like, like, and I, I like I like Kevin Durant. Like, and I do, I'm with you. I think he is the second best player in the league. Um, and I, I feel like because he was out with the injury, people kind of forgot him a little bit. And then he gets back out here and he just put 40 pieces on people left and right. And you're like, oh, yeah, that, good, that guy's really good at basketball. Like, that guy's a killer and we'll get it done in the clutch too. So maybe that'll help. Um, but one way or the other, like everybody's going to be watching to see how it plays out for them. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see and uh, how, how it moves forward. And if there's another big trade, uh, maybe try to combat that. Because, you know, look, everybody's on red alert. And that first game put people in, in red alert. Heck, you even got Kyrie out of, you know, I don't know, out of hiding that he wants to all of a sudden come back and play now. So, um it motivated a lot of people. Um, it motivated a lot of people to do better. And everybody's on notice, but it's not going to be easy. These are NBA players, and they all know that there's weaknesses out there and anybody can be beat. So um, it's been done before, but it's, it's definitely brought some spiciness to this uh, season. Yeah, absolutely. Now, speaking of spicy, one other thing I want to make sure we get to, and I know, like, buddy, we we just staying in your wheelhouse of cities here because we go we go keep it in Houston. Let's break that down. Hey, what what are they gonna do with Deshaun Watson? They gonna have to get Deshaun Watson out of here. And where I, and he's upset with with the Texas organization for a, a number of reasons. And where I kind of want to start um, with this is we saw something um, on Twitter. Uh, I have the date here, January 12th, so a few days ago, that we just never see. Um, we saw Andre Johnson, Texans legend, Texans great, uh, come out and tweet something about the Deshaun Watson, Houston Texans situation. This is what he said. He said, if I'm Deshaun Watson, I will stand my ground. The Texans organization is known for wasting players' careers since Jack Easterbit Easterby uh, has walked into the building. Nothing good has happened in or for the organization. And for some reason, someone can't seem to see what's going on. Pathetic with, all, with, with exclamation points. I, oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't even know what to, like, it's crazy because I'm, I'm taken aback still reading this because you just don't hear from Andre Johnson. Like the last time before that, that he even tweeted was December 6th and it was an ad. The time before right. that was December 1st, like then November 15th. Like he just doesn't like, he's not a guy who, I say that to say, he's not a guy who's just out here talking willy nilly, right? He's just not out right. here putting his thoughts out about everything. So I guess we start here. Like when you first even saw that Dre put that statement out, like were you also taken aback by even seeing him make a statement? Yeah, it was crazy because, uh, you know, a lot of the former guys still talk to Dre. And we were just texting. We were like, dang, Andre spoke. And it, I'm telling you, look, I, I, I 
subtweeted or whatever you call it, quote tweeted. I swear, it seems like he only said like 20 words when he was there. Like if you get up next to him and you're riding over practice, he'll talk to you and you joke, but he's very, very direct to the point, right? He's very, very introverted and he has his circle of guys. But He's one of the greatest teammates and one of the greatest dudes ever, right? Yep. But he doesn't say much. And when he, and it, because he's he just about balling, that's it. And And then also when he says stuff, it's like EF Hutton, everybody is listening. And for the fact that him, the, and Andre's worked in the organization, though, right? And he's a very, very fair-minded person, um, very, very smart, um, very, very quiet, very, really, a really good learner, right? You get what I'm saying? Yep. So he, when he says something like that, you like, whoa. And it gives it instant credibility, right? Because he sees things. And Andre's have probably seen a lot and hadn't said anything. And, and just yeah. by the number of tweets and stuff like that, he don't even, I mean, you know, he'll, he'll get it. He does his, he does his, his, his charity work about it, about his, his kids. Maybe he's like, you know, he didn't even really wanted to do when he got his number retired. He was, wouldn't say he was uncomfortable, but he, you know, it wasn't his wheelhouse. Right. So he's in there with the owners. He's one of the guys, man. He is Mr. Texan, him and JJ Watt and, and now Deshaun Watson. Those are the guys. Right. He's done everything you need to a Hall of Fame player, the best player in Texans history with no off the field issues. And when he says something like that, it brings a magnifying glass to some of the things that have been going on and plaguing the Houston Texans organization for years. And then let alone when you have one divisive guy that's made it even worse. Uh, it, it's something. And, and, it, and if, when you have when you have one guy that's been very divisive for years. And then has made it worse and nothing's been done. And then you see in me and Andre and the guys that have been there from the, or that were there from the beginning, Andre took it, the organization to a whole new level. JJ Watt took it to the maximum or actually, you know, obviously hopefully get a little bit higher with the world championship. It built it up and seeing, you know, where it started, where it's at. You got one guy internally beating it down or breaking it down and nothing's being done. And then you got Deshaun Watson with no offensive line help. Um, somehow another Hall, uh, a Hall of Fame receiver in his prime gets traded for a bag of peanuts, a bootleg running back, and, and, and a second-round pick that's going to end up probably being somebody they end up trading or cutting anyways. Right. And Andre's been there. And he said the quote, look, the Texans have, have wasted a lot of careers. And, he, and he's not just talking about his own. You know, there's tons of talent that was there that got wasted. So – and as you get older and you get wiser and you see things, you, you, you understand the business side of it. And he probably doesn't want to see Deshaun Watson to go through some of the things that, that he had to go through or some other players had to go through because it's not fun. Um, and especially when you have every opportunity to win and it's an easy decision to, to do. You, you got a franchise quarterback, one of the guys that's going to be in the MVP conversation for years to come. And all he's wanting to know is that if, if you're going to, try to do better and interview some minority coaches that your search firm that you paid, I'm assuring, I'm assuming hundreds of thousands of dollars, right? Right. That that you used and requested and that they advised you to, you know, interview some guy like Lewis Riddick, who should be an NFL GM, right? He's all over. One of the smartest and well-respected guys out there should be an NFL GM. Didn't interview him. And then you didn't even like bring in Eric Bieniemy or you know until oh let me just give you a token, 
So, you know, there's things going on there that's, it's, it's alarming. Um, and it's, it's, it's something that, uh, the Houston Texans better get under control because I can tell you what Andre or not Andre, but Deshaun Watson is definitely looking and trying to get it, you know, his best opportunity to win. And very rarely in the NFL, I will say this, do you see a player that's able to dictate the terms of a trade without acting like Antonio Brown or say James Harden? You have a, a you have a top notch, well respected, on and off the field, up and coming. If things go this, the way they're going, I'm assuming Hall of Fame type of player, uh, great track record, exceeded expectations, X, Y, and Z that has all the control because he has no trade clause and he could just sit out and then you have to trade him. This is a very, very unique time, not only in the NFL, but for Deshaun Watson, let alone, I'll take it on a step further. You haven't seen many African-Americans having this opportunity in the NFL to do it without acting their way out of it. He could just sit back, still do what he needs to do, and act like everything's kosher and just go in there and say, look, I want to be traded. We are done here. And nobody would fault him for it. They can't say he's a bad kid. Can't say he doesn't work hard. Say he didn't, didn't produce. It wasn't, he was a great, he's a great teammate. He's been a good soldier. He's been there through some times that, you know, we, we, we've seen the, te- the articles coming out about the Texans. And then he kept on keeping on with less around him and kept playing better. Coach being fired in the middle of the season the quasi GM being fired in the middle of the season, Romeo Cornell being the head coach, new offensive coordinator, and still one of the top passers and producers in the NFL. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens. This is if, if this, the time for him is now um, because I, I foresee that that team being blown up and maybe yeah, it's no, the best the, thing no, for him, best thing for it to have uh, some sort of happy mutual partying no bad feelings and maybe come back and have a swan song at the end of his career and finish up that way. Don't waste your years getting beat up because, you know, he's had some knee injuries and, and injury histories and getting beat up as a quarterback uh, at this time in his career is probably not the best thing for him. Yeah, they're going to have to, that's the, the, I think to me, the, the real interesting thing, because you don't see anything, you don't see situations like this in the NFL. Um, but the Texans as an organization are at a weird crossroads where they're talking about having to move J.J. Watt. If they're going to have to do that, they probably need to just move Deshaun Watson and try to just blow the organization up and start over. Problem is, is that you're trying to get a coach and you're like, hey, um, coach, you would actually, I know you'd want to actually coach this guy, but <laughs> we might have to go ahead and tear this thing down. Um, and so it's going to cloud that as well about who you can get because you're going to have to explain to somebody that, hey, um, you've got a, a long leash here because we know that we're about to have to blow this thing up. Like, it's just a, a weird situation. And then they, they've done this, the Texans have done this to themselves um, in yep. so many ways. Um, but it, it is it's a crazy situation um, for them. And obviously there are many, many teams out there that are, that are going to be wanting to get into the Deshaun Watson sweepstakes, and we'll see kind of where that goes. Um, but I think they should move him um, for his sake. I hope they move him so that he can get to a better situation. Um, maybe the Bears can do the right thing and, and get involved. I'm just saying <laughs> after they messed up to begin with, he could just be on the team. Um, but, but, you know, that's, that's neither here nor there, right? Well, well, they would have to trade 
the Bears could if they if they were smart say look we'll send you Mitchell Trubisky and Nick Foles. Right, I'll send first you both pick. quarterbacks, the first round pick, and like you know, start spacing out other first round picks. Um, right. Because, I mean, we're talking about a young franchise quarterback um, that that has like there's no like, hey, maybe he can be good in a year or two. No, he's great now. Like we know, right. it. so like you you would be willing to give up a little bit even more on top of that for him and, and just give up, you know, whatever you got to, to, to get him. Let, listen, man, I would throw in um, a franchise to Giordano's or something. If I had to get, get Texas right. some pizza, if, if we got to do the thing. Cause yeah, it, 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 that would be like to see what that trade would end up being. Like we've seen these trades in the NBA where like, you know, you like the James Harden trade, like the Anthony Davis trade, and you get these, you know, four pick swaps in the future and all of that. Like I'd get creative on how we want to go ahead and get this down and make sure the Texans get whatever they need so we can get that guy. Yeah, because they need pick. The Texans need picks. Bill O'Brien had traded the whole, right. you know, gamut for Larry Tunsil. So, yeah, you got to get creative. You got to give them a deal that they got to really understand it, where they can sell it to people. This is a, This is a trade that we couldn't say no to. And then it's got to be a destination to where Deshaun, you know, wants to go and has a chance to win. So um, there's few out there, uh, but, you know, there's moving parts. You know, you got Carson Wentz that needs to be dealt with. Yeah, Chicago doesn't have out. a quarterback. Do you want to go to Chicago, which would be great for him, for Deshaun. But, you know, you got two, you got a lame duck GM and a lame duck coach. Now Deshaun comes in there and he wins 10 games. They go to the playoffs and win the NFC North then they both get extensions. So I think that they're, you know, Deshaun's going to be there regardless. So, but at the end of the day, he needs to go to a stable organization with a stable winning um, culture that's going to set him up for not only to win next year, but the next three or four years. It, you know, because his window of domination is, is four or five years, you know, to where he's going to be neck and neck with Mahomes. I envision Kansas City is going to slow down just because of salary cap ramifications. Yeah, eventually that's going to have to happen. Eventually that's going to have to be blown up. Then he's going to have to be set up for the time to really pounce and be healthy enough with the, you know, coach and everything, uh, you know, for, for them to be successful. So it's going to be interesting to see, you know, I'm sure he's got people in his ear and he's, he seems like a pretty smart guy. Uh, he's got Andre, you know, in his, in his, in his back pocket. And that's probably one of the smartest guys to have. Uh, because Andre is going to come and give him advice, not only from experience, but for looking out for him, um, which needs to be done first. In the NFL, these guys need to learn. This isn't the NBA. Um, you know, you can't average four points and six rebounds and get, you know, 10 million bucks a year. <laughs> right. You know, they will they will get you up out of there real quick. Um, and unless you were Josh Gordon, you would keep getting multiple chances, and he would be 43 years old, still have three years of credibility in the league. But that's so it's so forth and so on. So yeah, uh, take your get your money, get your chances, try to win as much rings as you can. And uh when you got control, you gotta you gotta use it. Absolutely. Now listen, we're gonna end this show the same way we end the ball, uh, with our favorite segment called Put Them on Blast. Put them on blast. Well, we basically put somebody on blast for something they did or said. You know, I'm just gonna go ahead and keep us like hit the Houston trifecta. I'm gonna go back to the Rockets and actually put the GM of the Houston Rockets, Raphael Stone, who's in his first year. So I kind of feel bad for him. What a heck of a time to come in, him and Coach Silas coming in to have this land in your lap. Um, But something that always bothers me about these superstar trades is draft assets. Like we were talking about this in the NFL. I think it's different because Texans don't actually have picks 
Um, that's a different situation. But in the NBA, there seems to be this weird, like, I, almost like people really go over the top about teams getting draft assets. Like we saw this with the Pelicans and the picks that they got. Um, and then we see it again with this Rockets deal. And the reason why I say it, this one is actually worse, and I'm putting Raphael Stone on blast, is if they had the opportunity to get Ben Simmons in the deal instead of trading James Harden to the Nets. And I guess maybe I should say we put in Raphael Stone and Tillman Fertitta on blast, the owner of the Rockets, because reportedly Fertitta did not want to trade James Harden to the 76ers no matter what, because that's where Daryl Morey, the former GM of Houston, is, and they didn't want him to get his ultimate way of then trading for his star after he went, they went ahead and fired him, right? But – I'm trying to figure out what's the value of getting these pick swaps and unprotected picks from the Nets in 2022 and 2024 when they will still be good if those picks are going to be at the end of the draft when instead of having those picks, you could have had an actual star player in Ben Simmons. Like sometimes you got to put ego to the side and just take the best actual deal that you can get and help your team? Like, how much better would you feel about the Rockets' ability to move forward and build if they were building around Simmons versus Oladipo, who wants to leave anyway, um, and these, you know, unprotected picks and pick swaps in the future? So I think the Houston Rockets, once again, we're going to stay in Houston, go ahead with the H-Town trifecta, and put Raphael Stone and Tillman Fertitta on blast for what I feel is not taking the best deal that they could have absolutely gotten for James Harden and being petty pats about not trading him to the Philadelphia 76ers. Yeah, you're definitely correct. You never mix emotion when you when you're dealing with business. And that was exactly and 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 Tim, the owner, should know better than that. He's a successful billionaire. He should know better than that. And Daryl Morey probably cost him a lot of money with the whole thing over with the NBA China. But at the end of the day, uh you got to do it the best thing for it because you got a view that you're getting a superstar player in Ben Simmons that would have liked the probably most likely been in Houston versus a rent, rent a, I call them a rent-to-own um, with probably no ownership opportunity with Victor Oladipo. So then you're going to be back to square one with a bunch of late first-round picks. None of those guys are, are guaranteed to make it anyways. And they're not a lot of trade value when you're trying to make another deal in the future. So <clears throat> a lot of it is, you know, dependent on, you know, how good the team does. So, yeah, they, they, they got uh, out, outwitted um, by not only James Harden, but Daryl Morey. Um, because, you know, the Philadelphia 76ers got to keep their team and they're pretty salty and they got a good coach. So they were playing with house money. So the Houston Rockets, yes, they moved James Harden, but they got, I would say at the end of the day, the short end of the stick, unless something works out with Victor Oladipo. Uh, and they, or they, get, they get lucky with those picks. They have to, it has, or, to yeah, they, they got to, they, I mean, they got to get extremely lucky with those picks. And guys got to continue to play well. John Wall's got to stay healthy. You know, Cousins got to stay healthy. And those picks have got to turn in that one of those picks has to turn into an NBA future all-star player. Right. Those picks are great happen. until they turn into like Jackson Hayes, like the right. Pelicans, right? Like it's just like, it's just those picks sound great in theory until the, the picks become names. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. So it, it's, uh, you know, it's one of those things that they got to deal with and see what happens. So, um, now, for me, I was going to put the Texans on blast. We spent a you know a ton of time with that, but I'm going to put the Philadelphia Eagles brass on blast 
you know, Jeff Laurie and Howie Roseman on how they handled Doug Peterson. And I'm just going to get right to it. Everybody saw the last game of the season. Doug Peterson pulled Jalen Hurts, put in a guy that he said they deserved to play the been on the practice squad and been a good soldier in a game that they could have possibly kept the Redskins out of the playoffs, pretty much gave up. The assumption was he was told by ownership to do that so they can go, so they could keep the sixth pick. And if they won, they would have the ninth pick. So essentially the coach would be coming back. Um, Ultimately, a few days later, uh, Doug Peterson uh, still had a scorned relationship with Carson Wentz. The owner chose Carson Wentz over a Super Bowl winning coach who, who they just have put a statue outside of their big, nice billion dollar stadium just two years ago and fired the coach and, and decided to put all in on Carson Wentz, which I'm, I'm putting them on blast, which as an organization that's been so good for so long in Philly, even back when to say from Andy Reid all the way up until now, uh, consistently in the playoffs and winning, you should know better that you don't get rid of a good coach in Doug Peterson, Super Bowl winning coach for a player that has not lived up to expectations, regardless of the stupid contract that you gave him, because you can always find a way to move the player and the contract and hit reset with quarterback, especially if you have a quarterback that hasn't won anything in the playoffs and had a horrible year this year. Now you're going to go out there and you, now you're not in it as desirable because now you have unrest at the quarterback position let alone the coaching fraternity is very, very tight. So they, they know that Doug Peterson, to their admission, didn't deserve to get fired, got fired. So why would I come and coach here with the quarterback that's not good? Our second-round quarterback it provided a, be- a better spark, but we kind of shoved him to the side by putting a third-string guy in there. And our number one supposedly quarterback, one of the worst contracts in the NFL that's costing us a ton of money against the cap, doesn't want to compete and he wants to dictate everything without producing on the field. So, and also these GM that I would be working with, Howie Rose drafted horribly. Right. So it's going to be really, really interesting to see, um, you know, how they move forward, but I'm definitely on blast, not only for their, their firing practices, their personnel practices, and ultimately their hiring practices because they haven't been able to get a good coach unless they've, you know, made a decision here at 10 o'clock, which is highly unlikely because they are spinning their wheels on trying to get somebody to come in and be the head coach of the Philadelphia football Eagles. (laughs) Yeah, that's going to be, it's going to be a mess. Um, And and seeing that whole thing play, it's funny. It was, it was just a couple of weeks ago. We just said when he, when they threw that game, didn't we say that their off season was going to be really fascinating to watch unfold because that could go any number of ways. Now we didn't, we probably didn't think it was going to go the way of him getting fired. Um, We did think it was going to be odd for them moving forward. Um, And and it definitely is starting off that way for the off season. Yeah. It's just one of those things in the NFL that these guys, (laughs) It's like these coaches get here, uh, these coaches get hired. Look, one thing I learned about coaching, you get hired to get fired. And as as quick as you win a Super Bowl, you become the dummy the right next, right? Like all all of a sudden, Bill Belichick doesn't, you know, he's not a good coach anymore. He's one of the, well, he's probably the greatest football coach in the NFL of all time, right? Right. All of a sudden, you know, you lose the greatest quarterback of all time. Now you're just an average coach. No, he's still a good coach. He doesn't have all the players that he needs. And here's what people don't understand. What makes great coaches 
is great assistant coaches. What makes great coaching staffs are great players. What makes great leaders are people that want to be led. That's it. You just don't like, there's not anybody going out there. It, it's like, you don't see Alabama winning with a bunch of guys that should be playing at division three, you know, San Jose, Sacramento state. You, you have great players. <laughs> you get what I'm saying? You have yep. first round picks out there. You got it, but yes, you got to develop them that. And that's part of it. That's also in the NFL. You got to develop players. You got to draft, right? You, so when you can draft Justin Jefferson and you don't have any receivers, you draft Justin Jefferson because he was the, one of the most unstoppable receivers in college football. You don't take the receiver from TCU, right? Those are the mistakes that you make. That's how your organization doesn't continue to progress. And then they regress. And then you have a blow up situation to where when they almost made the playoffs last year, and now you could fire a coach in a matter of a few months later, a Super Bowl winning coach. Now he's out going to be an offensive coordinator for a year end up probably being a head coach somewhere in a year or two but ultimately he could still be in philly trying to figure it out so um sometimes the the decision makers aren't the smartest guys in the room and ultimately the guys that make the teams that make the most decisions the right way and do it over and over and over are generally have the guys that aren't the smartest guys in the room they have everybody around them that have their expertise and they lean on them and that's how you see Teams continue to draft well, well, continue to recover after a so-so or a down season, and you see them winning year in and year out. And ultimately, Philly is not in moving into that direction right now. Absolutely, yeah. We'll, we'll kind of be able to keep track of what's happening out there. It's going to be wild. NFL offseason is always wild, but that's going to do it for us today. Uh, subscribe to the podcast everywhere you can listen to them. Rate us, review us, leave us a five-star review. If you only leave four, I am inclined to think you're a hater and you don't want that. Uh, make sure that you're checking out the other podcasts on the Hill Varsity Network, the Mind Your Own Podcast, Varsity Club, more to it, and the Hale Varsity Radio Show. You can also subscribe to the Hale Varsity YouTube channel. Check that out. We also have an email address um, so you can send us love notes to at straightupbreakdown at hailvarsity.com. And you can find us on Twitter at GregSmithHV and at Foreman5644. We will catch you next time. A Huda Media Production.